Hi, I'm Ricky DeRiz, and welcome to episode six of the Mind That Ego podcast. Today, I am joined by myself. Yeah, this is the first episode that I'm going to do alone. I hope I can keep you entertained throughout. I'm sure I will. I hope I will. Um, this is actually a, a special episode for World Mental Health Day. And I realize that it's been almost a year since the last episode. I do intend to do a few more by myself. I feel like there are a lot of ideas to discuss. So I hope that I will keep you engaged, um, especially for today. Today's topic is very close to my heart. It's a very sensitive topic. For World Mental Health Day, the theme is suicide prevention. Even the word suicide can kind of conjure up really uncomfortable feelings. And I know for me, it's, it's a topic that I'm so aware of through personal experience, the importance of talking about openly. And it's so nice to see. I, I know last month that I, um, I shared an article I wrote last year for World Suicide Prevention Day which is in September, and then did a bit of research to, to discover that the theme for World Mental Health Day is suicide prevention. So it's great. It's great that we are able to be so open and that there's such a push because it is absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential to be able to speak openly about such topics. And the sensitivity is for good reason. I completely understand that. It's, it's uncomfortable for someone who has these kind of thoughts and feelings. It's also deeply uncomfortable if someone you love is experiencing such intense thoughts and feelings. But the more that we can be open about this topic, the more that we can just break the taboo, essentially, reduce the shame around it, normalize it in the right kind of way, I think the easier it will be to open up. And opening up can save lives. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm opening up. Um, I have done before. Those of you who followed Mind That Ego for a while now will know that I've spoken about my experiences previously. Um, I say spoken. Actually, that isn't true. Most of it is in written form. So it's also pushing myself outside of my comfort zone today to talk about this topic. So I'm recording this on the 9th of October in preparation for tomorrow. I'm also hosting an event in Berlin tomorrow evening or tonight or yesterday or last week, depending on when, when you're listening to this. And it is on the same topic. So for me, it's important to, to run through this kind of stuff. I feel really privileged that I'm going to also be able to share a space with a group of people who want to understand more, perhaps struggling themselves, um, is something that I really don't take lightly. And it's, it's a, an honor, really, to be where I'm at and to be able to share my experiences in a way that, that can hopefully help others. Um, but for those of you not based in Berlin, I am here through the wonder of technology, talking of the wonder of technology. I've got a new microphone. I love it. It's awesome. I'm not going to mention the brand. I don't want to go down that route, but I treated myself and it feels good. It feels like I've stepped up my level of professionalism to bring you episode six today. Anyway, I won't digress too much. 
Um, what I will say, I guess to, to begin, is that for me, it's really important to always attempt, as I talk about such experiences, to attempt to retain a certain element of lightness, a certain element of humor. The thing behind that is, or the reason behind that is that I find when we talk from a point of pain, a lot of the time it's from heaviness and it's completely un understandable to have such heaviness. But when we talk for a point of pain, it can be difficult to see what is essentially the light at the end of the tunnel. So I, I'm attempting to also approach this topic with, with some lightness. Um, and I don't know where you're at, essentially. I say essentially a lot, don't I? Just realize that. <laughs> um, but I don't know where you're at. And it's important as I talk to bear in mind that some of you will just be curious. Some of you will know people that have experienced or are experiencing suicidal thoughts. Some of you will know people who've taken their lives. Some of you may be experiencing suicidal thoughts. Some of you may be considering ending your life. Um, so I wish to talk to all of you and I wish to do so. And I guess also actually to include my past self and current self and future self in this conversation as I kind of immortalize my own words. Um, yes, it's important to cover it all, all bases from a point of compassion and understanding. And what I want to do is give a different approach, a different approach to this topic based on the, the tools, the techniques, the insights that I've had around this. So let's begin with my experience. Um, naturally, you know, most of the time, I, I do understand there are sometimes acute life events that can, can trigger suicidal tendencies. But for a lot of people, it comes with depression, which is the case for me. Um, I've, I've experienced depression for the first time around the age of 15. Um, and it kind of, I guess, in a way, because I wasn't dealing with it in the right kind of way, because I didn't have the right tools, the right coping mechanisms, the ability to regulate my emotion, to put such an intensity of experience into any kind of context. I think because I lack this, it kind of built and more things happened. You know, I had a lot of loss around that time. Um, family members passing away, a few other kind of pretty intense and stressful life experiences. And I had no idea how to handle my emotions. I had no, no idea how to really control my thoughts or to get, um, or to improve or enhance my relationship with thought. So I, I didn't really have any understanding of how to regulate my emotions and how to, to understand my mind. So as these things built and built, um, as the depression got, got worse and worse, I started to spiral and I started to kind of experience suicidal tendencies for the first time around the age of about 18. In the, the article that I wrote for World Suicide Prevention Day, I talk of the moment that I always remember. It's kind of rock bottom. Um, I've <laughs> experienced rock bottom a number of times, but this was the rock bottom where I, I knew that there was something really not right with, with my, my mental health. Um, up to that point, I really struggled to talk about it. And I was experiencing a lot of anxiety, um, a hell of a lot of anxiety, a lot of panic. I had a panic disorder around the same time 
So it would be it would be typical for me to experience multiple panic attacks each and every day. Even waking up and getting out of bed in the morning was becoming a real struggle. Um, and this this persist, persisted, I guess, for a while before I, I started to have thoughts of, of taking my own life. And it really was at that point um, a case of being in survival mode. But the day that I always remember and the day that I, I recollect in the article was it was actually the first day. So I started a new role, a, a law firm where I was working before I started university. And the thing is, when, when you're kind of base level of mental health is particularly low, when your, your base level anxiety is heightened, and um, when your mood is low as it is, general kind of life stresses that we all feel and we all experience just become even more difficult to manage. To give you an example, um, I just started a new role. I was feeling a lot of anxiety and my first task for the day was to make one phone call. I needed to phone a, a, another solicitor and ask for an email address. That was it. That was all I needed to do. And I think I was just at a point where I had such little capacity the thought of making this phone call. So I started to catastrophize, of course, like, oh my God, I'm not gonna be able to do it. Um, everyone in, because it was an open plan office, everyone in the office is gonna be able to to hear me. They're gonna hear how nervous I am. They're gonna see that I can't cope. They're gonna see that I'm not gonna be a good member of the team, that I'm weak, etc., etc. And this built and built with a really strong feeling of anxiety. And it led to a form of paralysis where I just didn't make the call. I just pretended to look busy, basically, until it got to lunch. When it got to lunch, I knew I was going to leave and I knew I wasn't going to come back for, for a, a long period of time. Um, I, I essentially was, this was at the point I was on my knees and I knew that I needed to ask for help. And I, I left on my lunch break and I called my mum. I was like, mum, can you pick me up? I just need you to pick me up. And without asking any question, she did. She she picked me up. Um, and it was around that time that I then, I, I explained that I'd been feeling really anxious and, and, and really low mood and, and possibly didn't mention the word depression. Certainly didn't talk about suicidal thoughts. Um, it took me a while to, to build the courage to, to talk to my family about that. And when I did... Um, I was quite terrified, actually, the first time I, I, I opened up to them because, you know, it's one thing asking for help, but it's one thing kind of surrendering to the fact that you need support um, and that that's okay, especially as a man. And, you know, men are taught to just be strong, aka don't talk about our feelings. <laughs> um, and we're taught to, to not really express what could be perceived as weakness. So I, at the time, perceived what I was experiencing as a form of weakness. So even open up, opening up um, to get help was difficult. But to say that one of the kind of processes that I was going through was considering taking my life, that was something I just certainly wasn't comfortable uh, talking about. There was a lot of shame around it. And as well as the shame, I just didn't, didn't want to upset or concern people and this is something that has followed me really th throughout my life. 
because I've had, I would say, three or four suicidal spells. Around the time of 18, um, this was when the extent of it, I didn't have anywhere near the tools and the worldview and the meditation and mindfulness and cognition and years of kind of experience and, and learning. So at that time, I was actually at a stage where I was looking at different techniques, essentially ways that I could could end my life. Um, and as a, I guess, an extension of this, not wanting to worry people, one of the things I was looking at was how can I make this look like an accident? Um, how can I how can I do this in a way that just looks like an accident? So no one has any guilt of what could have I done? You know, there's none of this extra. Um, burden I guess on on top of that and it it's quite moving to reflect on on that process and that time you know and to look back and to have compassion for 18 year old Ricky who was trying his best but was just struggling a lot and it didn't it didn't end there so that was god that was 11 years ago I'm getting old to some extent, from another perspective, I'm still young. <laughs> I love the aging process, don't worry. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's followed me um, through through different time periods. I see different chapters in my life. That was a real difficult one. Um, during university, one of my friends from home died suddenly in a, a motorcycle accident. And that really spiraled me I think if I'm honest before that I I still wasn't in a good place but I was really good at covering it up especially when you go to uni there are many opportunities to cover it up with alcohol uh, with drugs with sex essentially you know with with kind of living a bit of a hedonistic lifestyle going out partying counting down the days um, to, to exercise that type of escapism so I was covering over that anyway and then when this this tragedy happened um everything fell apart everything fell apart I completely lost touch myself I lost touch with reality I suffered um grief what I now understand to be like grief-induced possibly drug-induced psychosis which lasted a long time but the acute stage of that was um, was terrifying and again going back to this idea of when your base level is a certain way at this time in my life my, my base level was complete fear uh, a feeling of a lack of safety a feeling that I was just under threat the whole time as well as severe paranoia feeling like everyone hated me that everyone was talking about me judging me you know all of these things um, and it was like living in a horror film. Um, what was it? Oh, that's it. Final destination. I remember I, the first time I had counseling, I, I told the counselor that it felt like I was living in final destination. That was the kind of anxiety and the depression and the dread. Um, it's getting a bit morbid, isn't it? <laughs> so much for the lightness, Ricky. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this was this was the experience. Um, so these times, I mentioned these times around the age of eighteen, between like twenty one and twenty three. Um, these, I would say, these experiences 
of suicidal tendencies were, were different because I didn't feel as in control and I felt that, you know, I was really, I was kind of ruminating um, and playing around with these ideas with, with more intent. Um, and the reason I mention that is because even today, even to the present moment, I still occasionally do experience suicidal thoughts, which is in some ways um, paradoxical in the sense that I've grown so much um, in this time process, you know, I've, I've discovered, uncovered uh, spiritual practice. I've got a, a deep, fulfilling life. I, I feel very much connected to the mystical, beautiful elements of, of being in a way that was lacking. So I have more of a, a background, but I do still experience these thoughts from really ultimately a different place in consciousness which has led to different insights on some level I do feel that my my mission the reason why I'm here is to experience this to understand it and then to share in a way that will help others which is what I'm doing today even though I'm making myself feel quite uncomfortable <laughs> by by sharing so much but it really is um it's important it is important to to share so I've waffled a little bit. I will add a little bit of direction now. I'll add a little bit of direction around, I guess, a few of my coping mechanisms and also, I guess, theories. Like there are a few things that I've noticed when experiencing this that can hopefully shed some light and dispel a few myths around suicidal tendencies. So before we continue with this, um, I just want to be clear about you know, suicidal tendencies and what they really mean. Um, when I wrote about hopelessness, which is a, a huge symptom and factor of depression and suicidal tendencies, uh, I discovered a 2008 study which defined suicidal behaviors into three definitions. So the first is suicidal ideation. So these are thoughts of engaging in activity to end one's life. Um, in my experience, these can just pop into my mind at like any time. And I know when I, when I wrote this article, um, the way I wrote this, I know it, it kind of alarmed my family and a few friends because it seemed so jovial. But the weird thing is, it does enter the mind in, in quite a... A jovial manner and it's really bizarre but the the example I used was just you know it, the kind of tone of voice sometimes is like oh well you know Ricky you could just kill yourself and it's this malfunction I think it is a malfunction in a, a coping mechanism that just kind of says if all else fails you can just kill yourself like this is this is a choice that you have you know if it all goes to shit don't worry like you, you're not going to completely lose control um, this leads me on to a quote from Nietzsche, which says, the thought of suicide is a great consolation. By means of it, one gets through many a dark night. It's an interesting thought, right? And I, I guess, I don't know, but from conversations I've had, I know that these kind of thoughts affect people to different degrees. 
sure many people with depression. Um, as I was researching this article, I discovered that 10 million Americans seriously contemplated suicide in 2015. That's so many people. Um, and in terms of suicidal ideation, which basically is, is suicidal thoughts, I imagine this does affect a lot of us at different times in life when things are just going really tough. Now, it's possible that if you have good emotional regulation, a good support system, a healthy relationship with emotions and thought, these thoughts come in and you're just like, oh God, that's a weird thought. And it kind of goes. Where I'm at now, and this is what is, is really fascinating, is that I don't attach to the thought. So I still have these old thinking patterns that are kind of redundant, but they still surface into my, my conscious mind. Like my thoughts and my emotions have, have changed a lot since I've done a lot of work in, into to managing that. Um, but in certain situations, these old thinking patterns return. And when they do, and I can observe them, again, from a, a different level of consciousness. So when I, I see these thoughts, they don't really strike fear in me. They don't cause so much anxiety. But at the time when I was really suffering, when I had a thought like this, the thought alone would trigger a feeling of despair. Like, oh my God, I've just had a suicidal thought. I'm broken. That's it. You know, I'm done. Um, so I was also afraid of the thought of suicide. You know, so it was concerning to me. And it added to the anxiety and it made me feel like there was something seriously wrong with me. The fact that I was having these thoughts. Um, the absolute blessing of, of mindfulness and meditation is that I'm able to witness these thoughts when they come now and not to pay too much attention. Admittedly, what I, sh I find a little tougher is when my mood is really low. Um, and again, it's just not the same as it used to be thanks to the, the work that I've done and the help that I've had um, and continue to, to have. But sometimes, you know, when the mood is low and a sense of hopelessness envelopes me, you know, this old kind of um, density, that, that is a little harder. And in those instances, I just attempt to be present. Um, I'm kind of going off on a tangent a little bit, but basically these, so suicidal ideation... These are suicidal thoughts, um, which are, are quite common. These thoughts alone are not so much of an issue. And what I mean by that is the more we practice a mindful approach of non-judgment, the more we understand that thoughts are just thoughts. And if I, I do have a thought that comes in, oh, Ricky, your life might go to shit. You could just kill yourself. I can look at that thought. And I can be with it. I can have compassion for it, but I don't have to judge it as a sign that something is seriously wrong. You know, I don't have to take these thoughts as truth. In years gone by, I, I took all of my thoughts as truth. So when I felt um, that I wasn't in a good place and then I had one of these thoughts, that would really unsettle me. So I guess to talk to you as you listen, if you are someone who is experiencing suicidal thoughts, the first thing I would do is to, to understand that these thoughts aren't truth and they also don't have a hold over you. So see if you can start to just observe the thought without judgment, to just see it as it comes in. Um, 
as an extension of that, this can become habitual, which it was for me. So really, we will also want over the longer term to break the habit and break the cycle of relying on this as a mechanism. Okay, I'm going to come back to this um, shortly with one of my psychological theories that I'm really proud of. Um, but yeah, this is the first thing is to break the cycle and to, to lose some of the emotional resonance behind suicidal ideation. There's no such thing as a bad thought. All thoughts are just thoughts and we can learn to, to witness them and observe them. The more that we do that, they lose their power. They lose the emotional resonance, which mean they move on quicker. They don't control us as much. Um, I'm saying this, you know, over uh, six maybe getting on for seven years of meditation. Um, this has improved immensely, but there are, of course, times where it's really difficult to step back and I get pulled in, you know, pulled into these thoughts. So just celebrate, even if you improve 1% on how much you're getting distracted or afraid of these thoughts, look for small improvements over time. I promise it will get easier. Another option, of course, is to challenge the thoughts. So this is more from a cognitive behavioral therapy approach. Um, what we do here, rather than just observing the thought, we scrutinize it. Now, one element with suicidal thoughts is it's like a weird malfunction in the problem-solving brain. At least that's how I see it. Like my analytical brain, now if you're an overthinker, you'll relate to this. You're always looking... Um, looking at things, assessing them, analyzing them. You've got a very overactive brain. Now, when you get stuck, that's when you ruminate. That's when you just focus on problems and you kind of just go around and around and you're not really looking to problem solve. Um, a lot of the time, the way I, I experience and understand it is that this thought could just kill yourself is actually an attempt at your kind of subconscious mind or your psyche to offer a solution to, to a, a situation. So when we challenge a thought, we, we want to look at it and scrutinize it and say, well, no, that is bullshit, <laughs> right? That is bullshit. This is not truth. I observe it. I have compassion for it, but it is bullshit. I have a choice. I have resilience. There are other options. What are my options, right? So when I wrote this article, on feeling hopeless last year it was inspired by a feeling in a situation where I really couldn't um, see a, a potential solution at that time but that doesn't mean there's not a solution um, and if we're engaging the problem solving brain and if there's a malfunction and, and we kind of um, short circuit to suicide as an option we always want to challenge always challenge it and this is a process of building resilience and building faith. Like for me, faith alone has transformed my life. And when I explain faith, I explain it and experience it as understanding that we are all here to learn. We're all here to grow spiritually, that we have an innate capacity to deal with so much, to take on life's challenges and to, yeah, to feel at times to feel broken, at times to feel like we've hit rock bottom, but to get back up to get back up each time. We've got so much strength and we also never know what is ahead of us. So for me, this faith is part of my relationship with something greater than myself, a relationship with God in a way that I perceive God more as a, 
universal organism, um, you know, a benevolent universal consciousness, which is is glued together by love. Uh, sounds new age, but I feel that I experience it, and that has has enhanced my life immensely. So in these moments where we're attempting to problem solve, we're challenging, we're just not finding a, a worthwhile solution. Then we just have faith. We we kind of keep looking at our situation. We talk to friends about possible outcomes, but we always challenge the thought that says, could just kill yourself, right? <laughs> challenge that thought as well as not taking it as truth. Um, going back to the study, so that the, the second um, definition is a, a suicide plan. So this is actually the formulation of a method through which one intends to die. As I mentioned earlier, there have been times in my life where I've, I've reached this stage um, and the closest that I ever got to was it was essentially kind of, I mean, we do this all the time now, right? I, just, I looked on Google. I mean, what's that about? But I was, I was kind of Googling stuff um, at my lowest point uh, around around this and was thinking of where would I go, what would I do, um, you know, really kind of going down a dark path where the thoughts and the feeling of hopelessness had become so prevalent that then this started to seep into my, my desire to act upon those thoughts and upon that feeling of hopelessness. Um... Again, I don't know where you're at as you listen. What I would say is, um, again, there's no shame in reaching this, this point. There's no shame. There's no shame. You've reached this point because you're at a stage where everything feels too much. You've reached this point because perhaps you just don't see a way out of the pain. Perhaps you feel like a burden uh, there are many, many, multiple complex reasons why. But for whatever reason, there's no shame and it's okay. It's okay, you know. This is an attempt to to manage what can feel unbearable at times. So extend compassion and extend compassion for reaching this point. But then return to the same tools, you know. Go back to what are my other options other than taking action. Um, please open up and, and talk to someone. You don't, if, if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to go up to someone and go, hey, Barry, guess what? I've got a suicide plan, but I'd rather not kill myself. You know, <laughs> you, you, can, you can do it in different ways. Like um, I've just been feeling really down or if, if this feeling, okay, so slow down, Ricky. <laughs> um, if this is caused by life circumstances, Open up initially about the circumstances and, and see if you can get a, a reflection from someone on perhaps a different perspective on options that you have. And remember those options of dealing with this situation. If this is more down to something like chronic pain or chronic mental health illness, then it's more a case of looking at what steps can you take to improve your inner state and your inner experience. So it might be that right okay I've I just cannot bear this depression anymore cannot bear this anxiety what do I need to do in terms of self-care do I need to talk to a therapist do I need to um, 
express myself more emotionally? Do I need to look after my physical health a little bit more? Um, do I need to change what I eat? Do I need to stop drinking? There's always a choice, always, always, always. And this is an SOS point. Um, we can see it, we can frame it in, in the old Western model of a breakdown, but every breakdown leads to a greater breakthrough. Really what you're experiencing in this moment is a form of spiritual emergency of which I will lead on to soon. I will go on to that soon. Um, but again, we're just looking at reducing the stigma and the shame around both suicidal thoughts and actually considering taking our own lives. There's no shame around either of those things. There's no shame. There's no shame. So please have compassion for yourself or others in, in that case. Um, and yeah, going back to this 2008 study, the third definition is a suicide attempt. So that is actually engaging in behavior leading to self-injury with some intent to die. Um, I've, I fortunately not reached this stage um, throughout my life. There's always been something that has held me back, some form of presence um, uh, of which I understand to be that something greater that I spoke of earlier. Equally, in, in moments of real despair, like I think of, of people um, that I'm close to, I, I, I try um, in the past. like And e even now, I mean, it's a similar process. Like when I'm feeling really low, I look then at the base level, you know, the base level of what can I experience today? What is it that I can, I can pick up on? Is there a slither of beauty? Is there a sliver of enjoyment? Is there a sliver of comfort? And then just really focusing. So at this stage, it's about switching, switching the mindset um, into just taking gratitude for anything that you can. Um, and actually, now I've mentioned gratitude, it's a good time to, to expand on that. When we, we feel... And this is actually, the, we talk, uh, talk of lightness. The gift of depression and suicidal tendencies for me is the fact that I've been able to open up to and, and, and really feel into what it would be like to lose my life um, without necessarily being in a, a life. I mean, it is a life-endangering situation, let's be honest. If you're having, you know, the thoughts of taking your own life and you have the physical capability to do so, what you are in is a life endangering situation. There's a threat to your life. To experience this and to live through it is powerful. It makes me think of um, the film, It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, it's very much based on this premise where the lead, the lead um, character attempts suicide um, due to financial pressure and is then basically gifted his life back. And the moment that he sees his family after this, there's a welling up, a huge outpouring of gratitude of what is there. So what we can actually use suicide and, and suicidal tendencies uh, for is like an opportunity to open up to gratitude. I'm... And, and talking to my past self, talking to my future self, talking to you, um, I'm amazed. I'm amazed 
at what I've experienced in the years following what could have been the end of my life. Um, and that experience of amazement and wonder, like the people, I'm going to get emotional. Um, the people that I've met, the people that have been in my life through throughout this time, the new experiences that I've had, the things I've seen, the moments I've shared with, with people I love deeply, how much that love has, has increased and, and deepened and enhanced, you know, as I've gone through this. I'm absolutely taken aback at times. Absolutely taken aback. And this is a doorway really into the level of gratitude um, we can call it divine gratitude, but really this outpouring of aliveness where we just tap into the miracle of what it really means to be here. And this is why I refer to depression and suicidal ideation and suicidal thoughts as a spiritual emergency. Because what is happening in this moment is the part of us that is not the true source of ourselves. So the ego self, right? It's this part that is kind of um, looking to self-annihilate or is looking to, to destroy itself. So I, don't, I also don't believe that anyone that takes their life is doing so with the intention to end life. I think they actually want to end pain and they don't see another option. Really, there's that part of us, the eternal spiritual source of us that is reaching out in these moments and, and attempting to kind of move beyond the suffering and the pain. And for some people, these moments of suicidal thoughts or severe depression lead to a spiritual awakening precisely for that reason. So I mentioned previously the power of not mistaking thoughts as, tr as true um, and observing. Well, the more that we can do that, we can observe, we start to understand that our entire self-image isn't actually who we are. And um, I think Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now, he he talks of the phrase, he talks of the phrase, <laughs> he talks of his experience um, when he had his awakening and it was preceded by the thought, I can no longer live with myself. Now this thought for him opened up a doorway into an essentially enlightenment because he realized if I can't live with myself, that implies there's more than one dimension to self right? So if we feel like I can no longer live with myself, we have to understand that there's a part of us, the source of us, that is free from the experience of suffering and the thoughts and the feelings. They are not us. We are separate from that. Um, so the more that we, we tap into that, um, the more we start to understand that actually this kind of self-annihilation is in part a spiritual process, but it doesn't mean our life has to end. It means our ego self and the image of what we've had has to end. Now, as I talk now, I'm talking from a place of um, multiple <laughs> death, rebirth experiences. Like I genuinely, like, the more I've grown spiritually, I feel like these processes sometimes come like, you know, a couple of times a week. Oh yeah, I've just experienced a nice death rebirth cycle. But really, as we continue to grow, as we continue to grow, we will experience forms of ego death as we then continue to build and enhance and, and channel 
our true source into the person that we're becoming. Um, so the narrow, narrow confines of ego will ne- never, never restrain our, our true self. And I think there's a lot around spiritual emergency. Um, there's also a phrase, the dark night of the soul. Essentially, I think it's a bit of a breakdown in the misunderstanding of who we are, right? When we've really um, identified with the ego self and we're reaching a point where we feel that that has to be annihilated. But the answer isn't annihilating ourselves, right? It's annihilating the ego. Um, but word of, word of caution there, because ego is healthy. And this is a bit of a misconception in the West. It's not to say, go out and kill your egos, not yourselves, guys. <laughs> right? We want to we, we have a very healthy, integrated ego. That is crucial, especially with mental health. Um, but what we want to do is, is change that relationship so we see the part of ourselves just as a tool, an integration tool between our spiritual self, our human self, um, and our, our ability to navigate navigate the world. Right, I've just realized I've been talking for quite a while um, and there's still more to talk about. So I hope that you are still enjoying, you're still engaged. Um, so I've, I've looked into ideation, suicidal ideations, suicidal plans, like the role of spiritual emergency. Um, what I would like to look into is this sense of hopelessness. This is engulfing, it's, it's an incredibly powerful experience. Now, talking from the way I perceive this, hopelessness is kind of a mixture of feeling. So it can be like a lack of motivation, a real density and heaviness. You know, my whole body feels affected by hopelessness. Like the, the organism that I am is just like, no, sorry, I'm done, you know. Um, then there are a, a lot of mental activity attached to this thoughts of what's the point I can't cope um, why try anyway things are never going to get better so these are mistaken beliefs that accompany the feeling of heaviness but what I find most fascinating because I like to go down the rabbit hole with these kind of things um, and psychological time at least the way we perceive past present and future is very much affected by hopelessness i was reading so it's actually in um johan hari's lost connections he talks about this um i think there's a disconnect from like a meaningful future is one of the 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 causes of depression in this book correct me if i'm wrong um but i can relate to this real darkening it's almost like I, I look to the future. And by the way, like hopelessness, I do still experience that at times now as well. Um, and that does that does surface uh, occasionally. It's quite a disconcerting experience. I try and remain mindful to it. But it's when you really, you think, right? You're just like trying to project ahead. Let's say when you're healthy, you can project ahead to next week, next year, maybe even like decades from now. You know, maybe like a future, you know, grandkids or whatever, maybe next year's holiday. You just have a healthy relationship. Like within an instant, you want to jump ahead and you can, right? Hopelessness, when combined with this feeling of density, it's the almost the inability to project ahead. It's so weird. It is so weird. Now, from a, a spiritual angle, the way I've kind of gained insight around this is almost like this slight malfunction 
is the psyche's way of redirecting attention to the present and saying, dude, we're in a bit of a crisis right now. Stop thinking about the future. That's not where you live. You're in the present, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you look ahead. Focus on the crisis. Um, now, this also implies, and, and this is very much the case, that there is a cause. And again, going back to Lost Connections, it's an incredible book, I recommend it. There are many factors at play away from brain chemistry, right? Away from um, our thinking processes, but there are factors that we, we have to address that lead to suicidal thoughts or suicidal tendencies. Every single time I've, I've been kind of struck in this way, it's been because of something. And, and at the time, I probably didn't acknowledge that. And then it's in hindsight, I can see why. But it's all part of the, the growth process as long as we allow it to be, as long as we allow ourselves um, to learn from it. But an, uh, an important note on hopelessness is at this point, if we are struggling to project ahead, we're, we're kind of entering the, the realm of faith. You know, I mentioned about choices. Now it's difficult to, to project ahead and list all our kind of proactive um, problem solving choices when we're, our mind's eye feels a little incapable of projecting ahead. If you're experiencing this or when you do experience it, it's so important to, to bring yourself into the, to the moment as much as you can and just to keep going and to have faith that it's going to come back because it will, it will come back. But this is a moment for faith. This is a moment to just really like tap into yourself um, and say, stay strong and to follow all the processes that have already been discussed as well. As an extension, this is a little exercise that I use. And I got slightly emotional earlier talking about the, the experiences that I've had since the time that I could have taken my life. What we want to do is we almost want to project, right? So when we're feeling hopeless, project ourselves into our future selves and then look back. And what do I mean by that? If you feel hopeless, project yourself, no matter how silly it feels, considering your current state, project yourself into a point in the future where you've experienced wonder and awe and fascination and beauty and love and laughter and lightness. And of course, the darker side as well, but just all the things that make life worth living, right? There are so many unmanifested potential experiences that, that you have ahead that if you can just let in, right? Just like drawing the curtains open slightly, let in that bit of light that says, right, it doesn't feel like it now. You feel hopeless now. But at some point, very soon, you're going to experience things that you may never have imagined that you'd experience. And this, this is because when we're depressed, when we're suicidal, right? We filter our projection and our perception through this lens, through this dark lens, right? So we feel depressed and we filter our future projection to look bleak or hopeless, or our past to look bleak and hopeless, or our present to look bleak and hopeless. Going back to suicidal thoughts and the fact that they're not true, again, we must remember this filter is also not true. The filter that's telling you it is hopeless, the filter that is telling you that there's no point is just the filter. It's not true. It is not true. 
Um, there are many beautiful things that are going to come to you and will continue to come to you as you grow through this process. So I like to, to remind myself of the unmanifested future, you know, this beauty that lies ahead that we just don't know about. It could be tomorrow. Uh, if you're a romantic, maybe you walk around, you know, you'll fall in love. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, who knows what can happen? Um, maybe, you know, it will just be a change in our psyche. I, I, I'm kind of taken aback by the way I am as a person now. You know, 18-year-old Ricky would not have dreamt of this. Um, and in, in a way, I guess I kind of, I joke every birthday, like, oh yeah, I'm getting old. But I'm so, so grateful to be getting old, older. You know, I'm not old. Again, I'm not old. But I, I think part of me didn't think I'd make it, really. I didn't think I'd make it to, to 29 and, and beyond. So again, this is a, an opportunity to just challenge the, the feeling of hopelessness and to have faith in the unmanifested future of beauty and wonder. On that note, one last theory that I'd like to present, which is, I guess, also more towards depression generally, um, but this is around the idea of the masculine and feminine. And by this, I mean the energy, the masculine energy and the feminine energy, which is different in all of us, regardless of gender. Um, but essentially, what we need with depression and suicidal tendencies is to find the balance between the masculine and the feminine. Now, let me explain. <laughs> the feminine qualities of receptivity, sensitivity, and spaciousness, these are really important to just open us up to experience. This is needed to accept where we're at. Because if we are unable to accept that we're really not in a good place, it's going to be hard for us to move beyond it. So when I'm really feeling particularly low now, I allow this feminine energy to just open myself up to the experience again without judgment if I can. Um, but it's quite a, a humbling process. You know, I'm, I'm no longer resisting the fact that I feel a certain way and I'm able to um, really see and feel into the way that I I am feeling. The masculine, on the other hand, this is a more directive, structured, um, creative force. What this is important for is avoiding us becoming trapped, right? In this kind of feeling of hopelessness. It's the fight. It is the fight. Because make no mistake, as well as being sensitive and receptive to our experience and not judging it, we've got a fight depression we've got to fight suicidal thoughts and this is one thing that a lot of people don't understand the amount of strength that it can take just to get out of bed in the morning is incredible when you feel this way it actually becomes more of a struggle to stay alive at times so do not minimize the fight that you are putting in to stay alive if you are in that place or if you have been look back and appreciate the amount of strength it took to stay alive, right? So this is this is really important um, because there needs to be a bit of fire as well as the spaciousness. There needs to be a bit of fire to say like, no, come on, I've got this. I'm strong enough. I'm gonna work forwards. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, make these little steps. And you can celebrate if for you getting out of bed in the morning is a big thing. Celebrate. 
right? Always celebrate from where you're at, not an idea of where you believe that you should be. Um, so when we're looking at emotional regulation and overcoming and, and, and working with depression and, and suicidal thoughts, we really want to get this balance of masculine and feminine. Too much masculine, right? In my experience, if there's too much masculine, I just start punishing myself. I'm like, come on, push through it. Why, why aren't you? Keep going. Why, like, why are you being silly? Come on, come on, come on, come on. And this actually just postpones the, the experience of the emotion. And generally, I just then reach a lower point because I've ignored the warning signs. Um, an excessive fe- uh, feminine approach is when I'm just like feeling a little bit defeated um, and I don't have that much fight in me. And again, it can prolong. I might feel, feel the, the experience more, but it might prolong it too. So finding a balance between these two elements is crucial. And I really recommend um, exploring this. Maybe you're not familiar with like the, the concept of feminine and masculine energy. Look into it. I think it's got a you know, really important role in managing mental health generally so something to to research i will talk more about it in future episodes too right so i've been talking for close to an hour not surprising i do like the sound of my voice there you go turns out that is true um so i I would like to draw this to a close uh i really you know i really hope that some of the stuff i've shared has been useful for you um and really i just want to remind you that there is no shame. I want to remind you of the unmanifested futures, the futures that have just not arrived yet, the ones that may be obscured from view right now, um, to remind you of the love, the beauty, the excitement, the joy, the comfort that is ahead. Um, and really tapping into that, you know, tapping into that, that timeline where a lot of great things are going to happen. Um, and in addition to that, really just having compassion <clears throat> for yourself. Have so much compassion. Treat yourself like you would a best friend um, through this experience. Have compassion for the part of you um, that instigates these thoughts. It's actually trying to protect you in a really weird way, you know? Um, and I think it's just giving yourself permission to feel this way and giving yourself permission to feel the strength that you have to overcome this. So I'm sending you so much love. Thank you. Uh, if, if you're still listening, thank you so much <laughs> for tuning in, tuning in to me talk on this subject. Um, it's so important. It's so important to talk. Um, please feel free as well to, to reach out if you would like to ask any questions um, about this topic. You can email me at Ricky at mindthatego.com um, you can follow me on Instagram because I'm using that more and more I think my tag is that what you say? I think my tag is ricky underscore deriz um, you can of course visit mindthatego.com for more content um, I've got a YouTube channel and also a Facebook page the Facebook page if you don't follow it it's pretty cool because I just kind of put some quicker thoughts in there sometimes as statuses equally if you follow the Facebook page, but you're not on the mailing list, I would recommend signing up to the mailing list because I send, um, you know, articles on there and different thoughts at times. Um, but yeah, thanks again. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for having the strength, 
right, to look at this topic openly, to click on and listen to a podcast that says, let's talk about suicide. Because even doing that takes courage. Just opening up for whatever your motive for, for listening today, you had the strength to open up and to confront a very difficult, sensitive and challenging topic, but one that we are going to together, we're going to tackle, we're going to reduce the rate of suicide, we're going to reduce the shame, we're going to work together to increase our well-being, our harmony, our spiritual connection, our community, and generally love each other through this. We must love each other through this because it is a crisis, but it's going to change. Because as I mentioned before, all the biggest breakdowns lead to the biggest breakthroughs. And on a global level, we're at that point where we're about to reach a breakthrough in the way we relate to ourselves and relate to each other. So keep the faith. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you tune in to the next episode.